You're listening to teaching from the Word of God, provided by Black Forest Chapel. This is the church where you will find biblical teaching and authentic worship with family and friends. We are located in Black Forest near Monument and just north of Colorado Springs, Colorado. We invite you to join us this Sunday. Find our location, worship times, and more at blackforestchapel.org. Back in Exodus 12, when Moses was, um, by the Lord's command, giving this, um, this service, this memorial, this Passover memorial to God's people, uh, he said the following in chapter 12, verse 24, he said, you shall observe this rite as a statute for you and your sons forever. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you, as he has promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, what, is, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, for he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians, but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshiped. And in similar fashion, we are, we should be worshipful that because of Christ and his blood and the sacrifice on the cross, that our sins are forgiven if we put our faith in him, that that the wrath of God has passed over us. We are free. We are his sons and his daughters. We are his family. We are the bride of, of Jesus Christ who will come again for us. And he's making us, he's washing us clean by his word and, and wants to present us to himself, pure without blemish. And we'll have unbroken fellowship with him. And so that is something to certainly remember, not to forget. And the reason Jesus has commanded us to partake in his supper as a people is because we're forgetful. And so as we read his word, let's just remember, let's remember his body, which was broken, his blood, which was poured out. Remember the bad news of our sin, but the good news of our salvation. So Paul says in 1 Corinthians 20, 11, 23, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take the, the bread. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's take the cup. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful to be your people. We can celebrate the Lord's Supper together uh, as a body, as your bride. We can pass the elements around and proclaim your death to one another and to the world around us. This is your church, how we love one another, how we serve one another is the visible gospel to the world. And, and as we open our mouths and share the good news, Lord, may you be glorified and may others come to know you as Lord and Savior. May they see their sin and repent, Father. And so help us to be on mission. Help us to be in unity with one another. Part of this communion with you is, is that we are together moving forward as a body and not divided on little things and petty things, Lord, but truly thankful in our hearts to the point of overflowing, causing us to serve and to worship. So we thank you for this time when we can just pause and reflect and think and confess and ultimately would celebrate with, with you and with one another. So Lord, now as we move into a time of just opening your word, Lord, we 
We need great help from you. Um, we are distracted. We are forgetful people. We are people that sometimes justify our, our actions and our sin. And, and Lord, you are teaching us your law, even as you taught your people, Israel. And so thank you for that, Lord. I pray, Holy Spirit, you would speak. You would help us to understand, to be clear about what it is you want us to take away from this morning. Just please speak to our hearts personally and help us ultimately, Lord, apply these things to our lives to obey you, uh, which, is, which is often difficult for us, Lord. Help us not to be forgetful in this, but to be transformed as we leave this place. Thank you also for the little ones who are going to have their time in Chapel Kids this morning. May you bless them, their teachers, their helpers, uh, their time in the Word. May they, may they understand uh, the great simplicity of the gospel, and may they learn more about who you are. May they have fun um, fellowshipping with others their age and with their teachers, Lord, but ultimately, Lord, may they be transformed into the likeness of Christ. We thank you in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So our Chapel Kids ministry uh, for four-year-olds to fifth graders, you guys are dismissed. Your teachers are in the back in the foyer. Enjoy your time. And for us bigger kids, we're going to stay here and open up uh, Exodus chapter 20. If you have your Bibles, please go ahead and open up uh, Exodus 20, verse 14. We've been walking through the Ten Commandments together and I was interested to see how many people would show up once we got to this one, if you're reading ahead. So we're all here. Most of us are here. Front row, still a little, little, little light, but got the brave souls over here. That's good. I'm thankful for how God is speaking to us and how I think we're responding, just hearing good things about the Holy Spirit working in our hearts. So, so thank you for listening and for taking things to heart and praying on your own and coming prepared to hear from the Lord. I appreciate that. Um, Last week, we talked about uh, the sixth commandment, you shall not murder. And really, we're in the section of how do we love others? How do we love our neighbor as ourselves? Um, the first four were about loving God, and this is part of the, the great commandment we see in the New Testament. But how do we love our neighbors? And we started with honoring our mother and father. We, it starts with the family. It starts at home and how important that is. And we've, we walked through that together. And then uh, last week, about not murdering. Um, and really all of the sins related to that, right? From greater to lesser, um, anger, hatred in our hearts, calling people, um, insulting people, calling people, really the, the word insult there in the creek meant empty-headed idiot, right? And, and how often I, I realized how difficult this is for me because um, even, even the other one saying you fool, Jesus said in Matthew 5, that, that word moros is where we get our word moron, which means you're morally worthless. We don't think of the definition, we just use the word, but how difficult it is and how often, what, what are the words we most often use to describe people that are in our way, that are causing problems, that are by definition idiots or morons, right? But sometimes we, we think that way. What, what, what do we typically call them? Like idiot or more? That just comes out more naturally than anything else. And so um, I found it hard the week leading up to the sermon, and I found it hard this past week. Um, but I'm more aware of where my heart is and how I, once, once again, the foundation for this commandment of not murdering, and the, the, remember we talked about the, the one author called them little hidden murders, is that um, we're all created in the image of God. We're all image bearers of God himself. And we need to see people differently. And when we start to look at them as image bearers of God, as people that are in need of compassion and salvation, then we begin to open up this great door of evangelism and prayer for people and compassion and empathy that we don't have because ultimately we're just selfish and we get in our own way. 
It's easier just to, just to throw words out of people. And we might be good Christians who don't walk around hitting people or physically murdering anyone, but we do so with our words from our heart. And so we saw Jesus really expand and deepen that commandment for us in Matthew 5. And we're going to see the same thing this morning as we look at uh, verse 14. And it simply says, this is God speaking to his people. Once again, Mount Sinai, earthquake, things trembling, lightning all over the place, right? Smoke and fire and God's voice speaking out and and causing his people to tremble in fear, rightfully so, before a holy God who's giving them a holy law. And he says, you shall not commit adultery. You shall not commit adultery. And so just as the, the sixth commandment has a foundation for us from creation, that God created man in his own image, he created the male and female, right? So he creates God in his own image. We are, to, we are to consider people as image bearers. We're to love our enemies and love people as Christ even loved us. And so the foundation for this commandment ultimately is in the same vein, the, the overall value, the worth, thinking of other people first, but, but the other creation ordinance, if you will, is the divine institution of marriage. The God created marriage. That's his idea. And it's good. Marriage is a sacred union between a man and a wife. It's a covenant. It's a promise, right? You exchange vows. You make promises to one another. It, it's a, it's a, there's a spiritual oneness involved. Both the man and the woman kind of coming together, completing the image of God, if you will. And so when adultery enters the scene through sinful inclinations and temptations and worldly influences and Satan's attack on our, on our very lives and the institutions of the family and marriage. And we know how important that is. And we know how, we talked already about the importance of, of children obeying their parents. And when that doesn't, when children are not obedient to their parents, whether their parents are indifferent, whether their parents are overbearing or abusive, but when, when things are broken in the home, things are broken, what? In society, things are broken culturally in, in, in our community. Things are broken in our churches. We see just brokenness everywhere. And so when children are not willingly submitting to their parents and obeying them and honoring our, their mothers and fathers, when adult children are not honoring their mothers and fathers and just kind of putting them to the side, doing their own thing, things break down, things don't work. We see sin kind of on, on the move, if you will. And so adultery does the same thing for the divine institution of marriage. God bringing two people together as a sacred union and then adultery tearing that apart and, and not a clean break, but causing a lot of damage. So adultery defined as voluntary sexual intercourse between a married person and someone other than that person's current spouse or partner. So voluntary sexual intercourse between a married person and someone other than that person's current spouse or partner. And so taking this very sacred union and just breaking it, just destroying it. And there's, you know, I, I tried to focus in on some statistics for us, and there's just, there's just too many. <laughs> and with, unfortunately, with the, with the rise of social media, the whole landscape has kind of changed as to what's adultery, how does it begin, and all of these things. It's, it's, it's kind of, uh, it's very sad, um, and also a little bit chaotic as far as numbers go. But in general, um, adultery is a large percentage. It, it varies depending on the study you look at it because who's, as far as people being honest about this and giving honest, accurate information, it's kind of tough. But in general, um, one of the greatest causes of divorce is infidelity. It's adultery. If we look at divorce statistics, we, see, we can see the prevalence of that. Um, 2016, one study showed that in America, one divorce happened every 36 seconds. 
That's 2,400 a day, 16,800 a week, 876,000 divorces a year. 2019, the numbers aren't much better. And so we, we see this um, consistent pattern of divorce in the world, and we see this consistent pattern of divorce in the church as well. Not necessarily the exact same numbers. Some, some would posit that, that the numbers in the church are the exact same as the world. It's, it's lower. It's, it's not much, it's much better um, because we should be held to a much higher standard. There should be a lot more provision and protection for us as God's people. But instead of being you know, 50% or more, it can be sometimes in the mid-30s or, or 40 or so. But still, we have a serious problem. And if the majority of these, a large percentage of these divorces are happening because of infidelity, because of adultery, because of, of spouses going outside of the context of marriage to find sexual satisfaction and other things, what's the problem? We understand God's word, right? We, we see what God says about marriage. Let's, let's take a look at Genesis chapter two. This is the foundation once again. This is what God has said. And Part of the problem, we all understand this, is that we think we know God's word, and so we're good. I'm a good Christian. I've memorized a few verses back in high school or college, and, and I'm good to go, right? I, I, I do some devotions here and there. I like the preacher to tell me some things on Sunday, and I might go to a Bible study. But if we're not in the word, if we're not asking God to speak to us, if we're not allowing the Holy Spirit to continually sanctify us and by his truth, then we're going to fall prey to what the world tells us. We're going to listen to all the other voices, Right? Satan is always speaking. He's always whispering. He's always tempting. The world's always telling us what we should believe and what's right and putting pressure on us to, to do things their way, right? And then we have our flesh that if it's not contended with and disciplined in a positive way, then we give in to those things as well. So we have all these things coming at us. But the, the, the hopeful thing here is that God's word breaks through all of that. As believers, if we open his word, we're prayerful as we enter, we read his word, we meditate on his word, we're chewing on it, we're, we're, we're allowing it to transform. It's, it's going to break through all of those things. We're going to have truth, and then when we see all these counterfeits and all this false teaching and all these lies coming, we're going to say, no, that's not what God says. And we're learning about who he is and how great he is, remembering his sacrifice, remembering that we were sinners and now we're saved, remembering that, that we, we belong to him now, we're citizens of heaven, we're no longer to be focused on this place, we're, we're looking for, at eternity, not just the temporal things. We, we remember all these things and it gives us strength and encouragement and it gives us power right, to live in this world. The Holy Spirit gives us what we need. But when we're not doing these things, then we fall prey to all the other lies that are out there. And this is what God says about, about uh, marriage. It's his institution. It happened at creation. It happened before the fall. So he created man and woman, and then chapter two, he kind of zones in a little bit on, on just this uh, uh, human creation. He creates Adam and, and Eve. And, um, so God said that it's not good for man to be alone. He created Adam, and so he wanted to create a, someone who could help, better help fit for him. Uh, it says in verse uh, 20, second half, but for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord ca caused the deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man he made into, from the man he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. 
And so here's the, here's the marriage, institution of marriage. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother. And this is God's word because there are no other people yet, right? There's no other fathers and mothers. This is, this is God's creating this at the beginning. This is ground zero for institution of marriage. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. There's a leaving, you've heard this, right? There's a leaving, there's a cleaving, there's coming together, hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh, right? One flesh. We glance over it as if, yeah, 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 I get that. I get the one flesh. No, it's, it, there's a spiritual union here. God is what, God makes them one. Matthew 19, he expands upon that a little bit. Matthew 19, in the context of divorce, um, the Pharisees came up to him in verse three and tested him by asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? And, you know, the, the Pharisees, the Israelites in, in large part, but the Pharisees especially and some of the other teachers, of, they, they were looking for ways out, right? They're trying to find every excuse possible. You burnt my toast, I'm out of here, right? They, were, they, they, they just wanted to do what they wanted to do. They wanted to, as much as they were trying to protect the law, they just built layers upon layers, but they wanted to find um, opportunities, loopholes, justifications to do the things they wanted to do. So they're testing him. Is it, law, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And he said, therefore a man, so he's quoting, Jesus quoting from Genesis 2. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother Hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Now get this, Jesus repeats, repeats it again. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. He repeats it twice. It's that important that we get it. God made two people out of one, right? Took the rib out of Ab, made two people out of one, and then he took those two people and brought them together as one flesh in a spiritual union. It's pretty, it's pretty amazing. So Jesus repeats it. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. God does this. Marriage is God's idea. It's his design. He gets to define what marriage is and what it isn't. And so God makes them one. It's a spiritual union. It's a covenant promise. We exchange vows, right? Confirm with vows. It's consummated, if you will. It's ratified or completed as a covenant through what? Through sexual union, sexual intercourse. Tim Keller calls it the, the covenant cement, right? The covenant cement or the, the kind of the superglue that holds the covenant together. And so there, there's, it's, 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 a, it's a beautiful picture. Marriage, sexual union, it works. It's beautiful. So of course it's the, the very thing that Satan wants to pervert and to twist. He wants to damage this because it's a reflection. If we see later in Ephesians 5, it's a reflection of what? Of Christ and his church, of the bridegroom Christ and his church, the bride. It's, it's the, we're, we're to be a reflection, an image, a mirrored image of this to bring God glory in this world. This oneness, this spiritual union that takes place. And so when we start to get things out of order, that's when we get in trouble, right? So what does the world contend that's better? It's, it's contention is, yeah, well, cohabitating before marriage is better. Having premarital sex, which is called fornication in the Bible, that's better because then you get to kind of test the water, see if it's a good fit and all the, no, the, sec, the, the sexual component is, is the ratification. It's the completion of, of the commitment that's already been made. The commitment comes first. The covenant comes first. The promises come first. And that just kind of seals it. That just brings it all together. When you start out of order, you throw everything off. You, you, it, it's, there's great damage that's done. It's, it's uh, ridiculously simple 
Um, but this image, this illustration that I was given, uh, I, went to a, I was saved in college and then went to a, a retreat soon after and they were talking to us about uh, sexual purity and marriage. And, um, you know, they just had two pieces of construction paper and you've probably seen this or heard this. It's, it's, it has stuck with me and it has proved itself out when I talk to people as well. But they take two pieces of construction, they just put glue on it, stick it together, wait till it dries, right? And then they say, go ahead and I'll try to tear it apart perfectly without leaving any pieces on, each, on the other side. And you just can't do it. You just can't. You, there's always, if you have red and blue, right? There's always some blue left on the red. There's always some red left on the blue. You can't separate it. And in the same way, um, when there's sexual union taking place without the commitment, without the covenant, and then you move on to someone else and then to someone else, and you're taking little pieces of that person with you. You're leaving little pieces because this is a spiritual union. God has done this. And what God brings together, let no man separate. Because when we try to separate things, we cause great damage. And there was a, a gentleman that I met with, a believer, and... Uh, <clears throat> You know, he had uh, divorced his wife and he's remarried now to someone who was also divorced. So blended family and very nice family, great couple. Um, I don't know all the details about the divorce, but regardless of that, um, I was meeting with him and his, so his new wife, her ex-husband was terminally ill and was having, and he was alone. And so she, she would, she asked, she wanted to go back and, and, be with him, have compassion, help him in his last days. <clears throat> and he was really distraught about that. Said, why would he, she want to go be with her ex-husband? I'm her husband now. Why, why, why is she doing this? This is really causing a lot of problems for me. And I said, well, regardless of how you guys came together, she was first with him. There, there, was, a, there was a covenant that was made before God. God brought them together. He was the witness at their marriage along with all the other people that were there. There was a sexual union that ratified, that was a consummation that they glued them together, made them one flesh. God says you're one flesh. It's a spiritual mystery. We don't understand it, but that can't be taken apart without damage, right? And so I said, that it's, it, it makes sense to me why she wants to go back. She's still connected to him. She still cares for him. There's still empathy. They're, they've done life together. They have been one flesh as much as that's been broken. And so it was hard for him to understand that, but that's what's taking place here. That's just the spiritual mystery of it. And so we don't mess around with this. We don't play with this. This has great ramifications for our life. And ultimately, to be one flesh means when you hurt your partner through adultery or some other means, when you hurt your partner, you hurt yourself, right? When you do violence to your partner through adultery, through breaking that trust, through damaging that covenant, you do damage to yourself because you're one. You can't help it. And so this one flesh principle is important for us as we look at the foundation for why this commandment is so important for all of, all, everyone who gets married, alone for God's people. And so marriage is God's idea. It's his design. He defines it. And the world tries to redefine marriage all the time. There was a, um, this was in the UK, but I'm sure there's something coming in our, our country as well. But in the UK, one of those morning talk shows, and there was a woman recently, 2019, and she was marrying her golden retriever. So the golden retriever has the tuxedo on. I mean, she's dead serious. The, the officiant couldn't help. I mean, they were laughing a little bit. They couldn't help it. This is ridiculous. But they, they, were, they were there on TV, and, and she said that she's done with, she's been, her engagement was broken off four different times. 
by four different people and she was just done. So she's got to marry her, her dog. And I'm just wondering, what if the dog runs away? What happens then? I mean, that's going to be a sad day when uh, his dinner's out, nowhere to be found. But there's been others. There's, there's been someone who mar- married their chandelier. This is in countries where they've really loosened the law. And it's, it's coming. They married their chandelier, yes. There was someone who broke off an engagement to a pirate ghost that they were engaged to because that just, it doesn't seem like it's going to work very, I don't know, yeah. They're always, you know, out at sea, haunting people or whatever, never around. And then there was a, there was a guy who married his pillow too. That's just, you've just given up at that point. You just, that, that's just, I don't know. <laughs> this is so sad, right? This is, this is what we're contending with. This is culture. This is redefining things, making things all about us and what we want. And ultimately, marriage, problems in marriage, problems in relationships, typically are not because it's, it's, it's not because it's marriage. It's not even the, your spouse that you're married to. It's because you're a sinner and, and you don't want to be told what to do. You want what you want when you want it. And now you're in a context where that doesn't, that doesn't work. And God is using this to glorify himself by sanctifying both spouses, by sanctifying the husband and sanctifying the wife, making them more like Jesus, and together they reflect God's glory in the world. They reflect his personhood. They reflect his image together. And so when that is, when that is broken, and obviously it's always under attack when, when there's betrayal and an intrusion, this rejection of God's instruction and his word through adultery, it, it, it causes great, great damage. And ultimately, what's happening in the, in the world is just, once again, exchange. it's the Romans 1 principle. We're exchanging the truth for a lie, right? We're exchanging the truth for a lie. We're starting to worship the creation rather than the creator. Exchanging natural relations for unnatural relations, so homosexual marriage. And ultimately, when, when, we, when we look at the, the marriage covenant and what God, when he, when he brought Adam and Eve together, what was, their, what was their first charge and their first duty? Hold fast, to cleave, but also to what? Be fruitful and multiply, Right? Fill the world. This, this was there. He wants spiritual children. He wants godly children. So just based on physiology by itself, that needs to happen with a man and a woman. Right? We're always told to follow the science. I'm following science here. It, it has to be. It, and I know it, 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 it's a tough, difficult topic, but it's really not. It's very simple. It doesn't work. And just because medically now you, you can... As a homosexual, a lesbian couple, now you can have children. We're still created male and female for the purposes of having children, raising children, training children up, sending children off. And the maleness and the femaleness is part of God's design for the family. And when that's not in place, it's broken. And we see this because we have plenty of single moms out there without fathers in the homes. And they try to raise their kids the best they can with their mom or their grandma. They have plenty of women involved in that in that process, and it's still broken. It doesn't work, right? Why? Because where's the male? Where's his part in this and what he brings from the Lord and his design? So ultimately, um, the world is trying to redefine. It's just part of the rebellion against God, and it's damaging and breaking everything. We see, we see it just happening and, and continuing to take place and causing problems. So we see this as a serious issue as believers. We don't take it lightly, and our culture takes it lightly. It's, it's, it's normal. It's normal to, to have adulterous affairs. It's encouraged to some degree. 
we're not meant to be monogamous, right? That's the whole plight out there. If, it was, if we were meant to be monogamous, then we, it would just be easy. No, we're sinful. And so we need Jesus Christ to help us. We need to be sanctified. And so we'll just, we'll just walk through some of the seriousness of this sin as we see in the scripture. Um, and then we'll talk about a couple case studies real quick and, and then hopefully help us as we're thinking through how do we apply this to our lives. But I want to just bring the weight to bear on this. Once again, the, the reason for this commandment, the foundation, which is marriage and God's idea. And then here's, here's some of God's word related to uh, the seriousness of this sin. Leviticus 20.10. You can just listen to these or write down the references. I'm going to just work through a few of them. Leviticus 20.10. It says, If a man commits adultery with the wife of his neighbor, both the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. Deuteronomy 22.22. If a man is found lying with the wife of another man, both of them shall die, the man who lay with the woman and the woman. So you shall purge from evil, purge the evil from Israel. We're seeing God making his people, making people for himself a treasured possession. Right? They are to be holy as he is holy. He's giving them their law, his law, and they are to live according to his law. And if they damage not only his people, but God's name himself, that's considered sinful in his eyes and they will be purged from Israel. They will not be partakers of God's kingdom and him as their king. Matthew 15, 19, now we're in the New Testament about, and it references the heart and we'll see this, we'll see Jesus expand this commandment as well. It says, for out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. We see the, we see these second half of the Ten Commandments really all encapsulated here, right? Out of the heart come these things. Hebrews 13.4, God says, Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Sexual immorality, adultery seem to go together in a lot of the lists that Paul provides. And a couple of them, 1 Corinthians 6.18 he says, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside of the body, but sexual immoral person sins against his own body. And prior to that, in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 10, he says, or do you not know that the righteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? So unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived. And so he gives the list of unrighteous acts, similar to Deuteronomy twenty two twenty two. They're purged from Israel. If there's unrepentant sin related to adultery and sexual immorality, these people, along with a, lot of, a whole list of others, uh, will not inherit the kingdom of God. And so Paul begins, and, and sexual, the sexually immoral are first on the list, again. In 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 10, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. This is serious business. It's... it's it's not a cultural throwaway where, ah, well, this is just what we do and they'll get over it and I need to move on. I fell out of love. I've, I've lost my passion. I, yeah, it was a commitment, but I don't even remember my vows. And yeah, we got married in Cabo sometime way down there. And it, it, was, it was just kind of a fun thing and I really shouldn't have done it. And we know we weren't meant for each other. And this was just so we can get insurance together. And this was just, you know, to save money. And we, we were hopeful, but it's, it's really not. No, there's a covenant that's in place. God brings you together. There's a spiritual union. It's consummated with sexual intercourse. There's a one flesh principle and you can't just break off and do whatever you want. It destroys people's lives. Galatians 5.19, now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, etc. So we see this again and again and again, this, 
This idea of a broken covenant, this oneness being torn, it's violence against your spouse and yourself. Proverbs, and, and these are a couple sections I'd like you to write down and then just spend some time with um, on your own. But I'd like to read these this morning. Proverbs chapter 5, and then part of chapter 6. Um, you know, Proverbs spends a lot, of, there's, there's a lot of short verses, you know, a lot of, it's a wisdom book. There's a lot of little things here and there, and you, we take one verse and we can memorize it, and then the next verse, it moves on to some other aspect of wisdom in our lives, and there's great application here. The warning against adultery just keeps coming up again, and there's, there's large sections of it because it's that, it's that deceptive for us. It's that much of a temptation for God's people. This is that one area that we just keep falling prey to again and again. And so Solomon, in his wisdom, gives us this great warning. So there's some application here for us as well this morning. Uh, Proverbs 5, verse 1. My son, be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding, that you may keep discretion, and your lips may guard knowledge. So this is, this is important. Father's teaching a son, and obviously we are the benefactors of God's word. He's teaching us, and we should incline our ear. We really need to listen, not just say, yeah, 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 I, I get it. Yeah, and I'm, I'm not supposed to do that. That'll, that'll never happen to me. I'm a Christian. That'll never happen to me. I'm a good person. That'll, I really, that'll never happen to me. Why would I ever do that? I would never intentionally destroy my family. I would never intentionally hurt someone else. I wouldn't really, of course, it's, it's not intentional, typically, for us. People don't typically just fall into adultery, Right? It's, it's subtle. It's, it's seem, seemingly innocent at first. It's imperceptible at times. And then we just continue to go and move forward. So we need to listen and not just assume here. Verse three, for the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey and her speech is smoother than oil. So isn't that the truth? That, well, you know, my spouse, they don't really, they, they, don't, they, don't, they don't encourage me anymore. I'm not getting you know, positive feedback. I'm not really, there, there's, there's just no, when, when they courted me, there was all these niceties. They always tell me how they looked. They were, I, I looked nice. I'm such a nice person. They, they held the door for me. They were, they were supportive of me. They said nice words. They wrote me letters. I got all these letters with beautiful little hearts over the top. And I've, I've got all this stuff going on. And, and now they just don't do that anymore. I just don't hear from them. And they, they just, their heart seems to be far from me. And so, but this person over here, and they just, they just have the words. They just know what to say. They, they, just, they really know me. They really just, right? The lips of a forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, this is where we have to mentally move in to the consequences and ramifications of adultery, of sexual sin. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, which I had to look that up because I'm like, that sounds terrible, right? It's this dark, what is it? Dark green oil from this plant. And you know what they used it for? For intestinal parasites, getting rid of worms out of the stomach. That's what, that honey, it looks really, yeah, it looks like honey. Yeah, she's just dripping, just smooth as oil. And then you get a little closer, it's like, oh, right? In the end, or in the end it's as bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down t- to death, her steps follow the path to Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander and she does not know it. And now, O sons, listen to me. Do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her and do not go near the door of her house. Isn't that the, 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 the problem with temptation is we, we think that we're fine. We think we're protected. We think we can handle it. And so we just get a little closer, a little closer. I just want to see what's over here. I just want to see what's on the, on the ledge. And there's no firm footing. And the next thing you know, we fall. God's put the guardrail up over here, right? He said, no, 
stay far from her. And we're just like, yeah, but I, I just want to see what's over here, right? And we think we're safe. Verse nine, lest you give your honor to others and your years to the merciless. Listen to these, listen to these words. Lest strangers take their fill of your strength and your labors go to the house of a foreigner. And at the end of your life, you groan when your flesh and body are consumed. Once again, you do violence to yourself. And you say, how I hated discipline and my heart despised reproof. I can't tell you how many people I've talked to and I start, I, you know, I need people to speak into my life, things that they see. And when I speak into other people's life, hey, you're, you're doing what? You're, what do you mean you're driving to Denver with your coworker who's a female? This is a true story. Well, no, we, we, we work all the time together and, and it's okay. We just, you know, we have a good working relationship. So we're just going to drive to Denver together. And I'm like, well, why? Why would you do that? You have a, what are you, what are you projecting to your wife? What are you doing to your own heart? Well, nothing. We're fine. We're totally fine. We're just, we just, we work well together. It just doesn't make sense. We're wasting gas. I'm like, I don't care how much gas you waste, right? There's a problem here. I see a problem. No, no, no. There's no problem. Okay. Within a year. Affair, divorced his wife, family destroyed. It was, I, wasn't, I didn't even know the details of anything. I just heard, yeah, going to Denver, yeah, my coworker. Oh, who's your coworker? Oh, it's a female name. What? So we have to draw some lines somewhere. We have to have some, some sensibility here that we, as sinful man, can't handle these things, stay far from her, right? And so the... The end result here was that this person hated discipline. And you say, how I hated discipline and my heart despised reproof. I did not listen to the voice of my teachers or incline my ear to my instructors. What good is it to have brothers and sisters in the Lord? What good is it to have pastors and, and mentors and disciplers? And what good is it if they don't speak truth to you and that truth helps to shape your life and form your life and they tell you things that you don't necessarily want to hear? They're, they're drawing out sin issues. They're showing you where you can't see, right? That's the point of it. We're all deceived otherwise. We begin to justify our actions. And so we need to not hate discipline, but receive it, not despise reproof, but accept it as hard as it may be to hear and change our lives accordingly for our own good. Verse 14, I'm at the brink of utter ruin in the assembled congregation. So here's the, here's the application then as far as what, what should we do? How do we protect ourselves? It says drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Do you, when you're hungry and, or thirsty, and you're staying in your kitchen, you're like, I'm, I think I'm going to go over to my neighbor's kitchen. Do you just walk in your neighbor's house and start taking stuff out of their fridge? I mean, maybe some of you do, but that's, that's we did it. But do you, do, you, do you think that way? Do you think, well, I'm going to go over there and get that water because they've got a frigid air and they've got a better little filter thing? Or, no, you, you get food and you get water from your own house and from your own sister and from your own well, and you, you get all of the things that belong in marriage from your own marriage, not from some other person, is what he's saying. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets? Let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? Such danger here and such blessing when we do it God's way. Verse 21, for a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord and he ponders all his paths. 
The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him, and he is held fast in the cords of his sin. He dies for a lack of discipline, and because of his great folly, he is led astray. And so you can read uh, chapter 6, verses 20 uh, through 32. talks about similar things, and I would just suggest you read these. Spend some time with it. Maybe this would be a place to study this week, to consider God's word and the wisdom in Proverbs 5. Malachi 2 um, is another place where you might spend a a few minutes this week as well. And this is a place where, once again, God is talking about he's the one that that made marriage. He's the one that did this. It's his idea. And so in Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament, um, the last minor prophet, he is prophesying to the people of Israel. They're back from exile, post-exile. They're back in the land. It's been about 100 years or so. But there's a lot of um, covenant breaking still taking place. They are still being faithless. There's a lot of spiritual apathy. There's a lot of corruption amongst the priesthood. And so God is, is, is correcting these things and calling his people out. And then in chapter 3, there's a um, messianic prophecy of Jesus to come and John the Baptist that will come before him. But in chapter 2, a little section here in verse 13... God is calling them out related to wives because what's happening is they're coming back with they're trying they want to marry foreign wives they want they want the benefit of economic status or some other position or whatever means they they can get their hands on they're really spiritually apathy once again is is running rampant and they've broken the covenant and really they've profaned the covenant it's just another covenant with another king versus saying this is the holy god of Israel and they're looking for other wives. And what does he say? He says in Malachi chapter 2, verse 13, And the second thing you do, you cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning, because he no longer regards the offering or accepts in favor it with favor from your hand. So they're worshiping God. Here's my sacrifice. Where's my blessing, God? Do you still love me is what they're asking. Again and again, where's my blessing? I'm doing all these things, and they've got tears, and they've got... But at the same time, they're sinning against God. So they're sinning willfully. They're unrepentant. They're doing things that break the covenant. And then over here, they're saying, well, Lord, where, where's your half of the covenant? Why am I not being blessed? Why, why aren't you just doing things for me? Well, I'm, I'm in your land. Isn't this what you're, this is what, this is what we do, right? Lord, I'm going to continue doing the things I want to do. Yeah, I understand what Mike read about this morning, and I get it. But I, I'm still safe, and I'm fine. There's, not, there's no problem. I can handle it. I can handle this relationship and this conversation and this, this Facebook post. And I can handle this chat room. And I can handle all those things because I'm a Christian. And there's no problem here. And these are just friends of mine. And no, we want to do things our way. And then we wonder why God is not blessing us because we're completely defiantly disobedient to him. And so there were tears on the altar. Verse 14, but you say, why does he not? So God's answering the question in their heart. Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth, to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Did he not make them one with a portion of the spirit in the union? God made them one. Spiritual union. God did this. And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. So the Part of what God is looking for is for us to, in the expression of our love for one another, is to grow our family, to have godliness in our family, to to create the next generation of those who are faithful and follow God. So, So guard yourselves in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. Guard yourself. For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence. He's covering himself with, he's being violent to himself says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. So the, the picture of adultery, of breaking this marriage covenant, it is, it is throughout scripture to the point where God uses it 
um, really as a, as a metaphor for the faithlessness of Israel, that they go after other gods, that they're idolatrous, right? They're, they're giving their attention, their affection, their worship to other gods when he is the one true God. And so what do we do and what do we not do? A couple quick case studies for us. And, and once again, um, I guess I should have broken this up into like three sermons, but we'll, we'll get there. A couple of case studies for you. Uh, uh, for you to write down and look at Joseph, life of Joseph in Genesis 39, and then David in 2 Samuel 11. These would be two to look at. Joseph, who was stripped from his family's brothers, had murderous intent. They sold him to slavery instead for some pocket change. He's in Egypt. He's in Potiphar's uh, home. He's a slave to Potiphar, who's a um, part of the king's court, the captain of the guard. And so um, Joseph is blessed by God. He gives, he gives Joseph everything he needs to flourish and to be a good steward of that home. And he's gaining leadership skills and all these good things that we studied a couple of years ago when we walked through this, this section. And so Potiphar's wife, though, she, she sets her eyes, she casts her eyes on Joseph and she, she wants him, right? And what is, what is Joseph, what's his, his first initial response? He resists that. He says, no. He says, your, your husband, who's in charge of everything here, gave me, gave me ownership, authority in this home. I, I can have anything I need in this home except for you, because you're his wife. And so I, and he, and his, what he invokes at the end here is that, how can I do such a wicked thing against God? How can I sin and do such a wicked thing against God? He has God in front of him. He practices the presence of God always, that God always sees, that God always knows, that no matter where you're at in your dark little corners on your computer or or meeting someone or in your car driving to Denver, God is always present. He knows, he loves you, he sees you. You can't escape from that. And so Joseph has such a great picture and understanding and knowledge of God that he he could not imagine sinning against him in this way. Joseph could have had plenty of excuses. I've been sold into slavery. My parents don't even know I'm alive. I'm essentially on spring break here. I can do whatever I want. God's put me through some tough times. I deserve a break. I deserve some some pleasure of my own. Why not do this? No one's ever going to know. He doesn't try to negotiate with her, but yeah, we can't do it now. And maybe if your husband takes a trip, he doesn't do any of that. He just says, no, he resists her. She keeps coming back again and again, right? Day after day. And and what does it say? He doesn't listen to her. So he resists her. He doesn't listen to the voices of temptation in the world and all all around him and the voices of Satan. He doesn't listen to any of that. Why? Because he knows God. He knows God's truth. That's what's important to him. And then ultimately she grabs him by the coat. No one's around. And what does he do? He flees. He takes off. He runs. He knew he was in trouble. He resisted her completely. He didn't listen to her. He fled. These are all things for us to emulate as God's people, that we shouldn't be playing with fire, right? We see that in, if you read through Proverbs 6, can you, can, you play, can you hold fire in your lap and burning coals and not get burned? Can you do that? And that's exactly what, I mean, these pictures are really helpful for us. That's exactly what happens. And so that's Joseph's story, and he's, he's, he's a great model for what we need to be doing. And then David's story, and once again, if you think, well, it would never happen to me, I love God. And I, I, I'm, I would never, who is the, the man after God's own heart? The faithful one who slung the stone and killed the giants, who had multiple opportunities to kill King Saul and take his place that he was anointed to be on the throne, but he didn't do any of that. He hid in caves, he's drinking water out of little puddles, he's, he's running for his life because he wants to honor God. He's a faithful man, he's a faithful king, he's a great warrior. He loves God. And then what does he do? One day when kings are off to war in the springtime, what does he do? He makes a mistake. He stays home. 
He gets up from his couch. He walks around the, his, the roof of his, of his home. He isolated himself and he was idle. He was supposed to be at war. He's supposed to be doing his work. Idleness, isolation was the beginning of it. Then he saw Bathsheba in a window bathing. He saw her and if you just catch a glimpse and see someone and it's not sinful, but he saw her and he kept looking and he sent for her. He just let it grow. He had sexual intercourse with her. She became pregnant. Now what? Now he's trying to cover it up. A man after God's own heart, this faithful man who never intended for this to happen. Never intended. Finds out who her husband is, has him murdered. He murders a man. Nathan the prophet calls him out. There is confession. He confesses his sin before God. He repents of this thing, which is great. And because of that, he's not going to die. But there's consequences. And what do we see in the house of David from then on? Just strife and division and the sword and his own son running him out of the castle at one point, right? There's, there's, there's nothing but just damage. That The consequences continue for one moment. All those years that he built up his reputation and loved God and was leading his people in one moment, it's all destroyed. And so for us, if any of us have had an adulterous affair, if you've had sexual sin in your life, God can and he will forgive you. If you ask for if you repent of your sin, you are forgiven. That's the promise in scripture. There's, there's great hope in that, that you're not trapped in this. At the same time, know that there are consequences and that God is in the business of redeeming, of bringing beauty from ashes, of doing things that we can't understand or comprehend. And so these are two case studies to look at, to consider for our own lives. You know, we enforce laws about personal property. We protect all of our stuff with security systems and cameras and deadbolts and all kinds of fancy gadgets. We, we, we like to look at everything on our phone to see who's in our garage, who's in our backyard and what's going on. We protect all of these things and these, all of our possessions. How much more should we protect our marriages? The sacred union that is under fire all day long, every day. There's a good article in Focus on the Family, which um, if you get a chance, there's some really good articles on there that, that just speak to some of these issues. And, and so um, just a real quick excerpt. says, falling, I mentioned this, falling into adultery rarely happens. Illicit liaisons don't just pop out of nowhere. They grow out of something that was once innocent and harmless. And healthy marriages don't just go bad overnight. They erode over time through neglect and disinterest. And so if you were married this morning and... Um, Maybe it's been a while since you've provided a compliment or taken your spouse out to dinner or done something to serve them and to love them. You need to really consider where is your heart here? Are you neglectful? Are you disinterested? Are you creating an environment? And not to say that this is your fault, that you're not forcing someone else into sin, but are you creating an environment in the home because you're not living out your role as God's given you? Look in Ephesians 5 and you'll see the roles clearly spelled out for you. If you're not doing these things, what's your expectation here? that your spouse is just going to keep going along the way they are without any problems. Consider your heart toward your spouse, how you might submit to God's word as it relates to this and see some changes take place. And then for, for the rest of us, um, Jesus really, for all of us, Jesus expands and deepens this commandment in Matthew 5 when he tells us, Right after the section on anger in the Sermon on the Mount, um, Jesus says, you heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery in his heart, with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. 
For it is better that you lose one of your members than that of your whole body to go into hell. Jesus looks at this, this idea of lustful intent. If you look at a woman with lustful intent, the idea is to fix your desire upon, to long for, to lust over, to covet. That's the same thing. It's with sin. Now, is an adulterous affair, a physical affair, that is the classic, term, uh, the classic definition of actually having sexual intercourse with someone that's not your partner. That is grounds for divorce. That is, that, is, that is actually marital adultery. Having adultery in your mind is not the same thing as far as the practical application. Sim- similar, in similar ways where uh, murder, you know, if you murder someone, there's, a, there's capital punishment. There's definitely, uh, the law will come down on you for that. Um, if you murder someone in your heart, or in your head, in your words, you're not going to have the same cultural, social law punishment involved with that. So as far as adultery in the mind and in the heart, is, is that damaging? Absolutely. Can it be really damaging in a marriage and cause a lot of problems? Absolutely. Is it the same thing as breaking that spiritual oneness, that sexual union that God has brought together? It's not the exact same thing that way. And so there's a bit of a difference there to, to consider. I'm not saying there's... Um, it's, there's still great weight to it because it is sin against God and Jesus is equating them as being the same thing because it's the same heart issue, right? And one will lead to the other ultimately. So we have to protect ourselves to the point of Jesus is in very much hyperbole, but seriousness, if your right eye causes you sin, take it out. Your, your arm causes you, cut off your hand. This is how serious we need to run from these things and not, not uh, allow Satan to take a foothold in our lives and in our marriages. And so the practical application here for us today is not to tear out our eye or cut off our right arm. There's, he's not promoting self-mutilation. Um, but the idea is to really protect yourself. How do you do that? And these are all little things too. Uh, little micro adulteries that we commit in our life. The things that we do. Um, we need to protect ourselves. Practicing the presence of God. I already talked about that. First Thessalonians 4, 3-5. through 5. For this is the will of God, your sanctification that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. We, we know God, so we should act like it, right? We know who he is and what he's done for us. We should hold our body in holiness and honor to him and not be like the world and just kind of... So practically, men and women, we have to be careful what we're doing. Guys, you know the channels on the TV that you shouldn't be watching. Change your, t- your TV package. Change your satellite package. Change your internet filter. Do whatever you have to do to remove these things from your life. You're just playing with fire. You're, you're taking hot coals and wood that's on fire. You're holding them and you're, you're expecting not to get burned. I can handle it. I'm really tough. I'm really strong. There's, there's no problem here, right? Maybe for some of us, there's a neighbor that we really, they, they just, they, they, maybe ladies, there's a neighbor that this guy just, he listens to you, he seems to have fun, he's, he seems to have like a great dad, his kids are playing, and you just like to talk to him, and he, he's talking back to you, and the other, your husband's sitting in there watching TV, and he fell, he fell asleep again, and he's snoring again, and oh, he's just disgusting, right? And we're thinking these things, and we're, instead of going in there and talking to her husband. So we have to be careful with these things. It always starts out subtle. It's, you start to give your affection to someone. You start to tell stories or things that happen in your life to another person that you're not telling your spouse. You start to re- withdraw from your spouse physically and emotionally. You start to not talk to them as much. 
and you start to talk to someone else a little bit more and you wanna be around them and you time things out and oh, they're, I, know, I know they're usually out in their yard this time of day. I know my coworker's usually doing this and you, you try to make your way so that you're around them more. It just feels good, right? And you start to share more. You start to become special to one another and, you start, and it's innocent enough at the beginning and then it turns into disaster and we have to protect ourselves from these things. And there's so much, the insidious nature of technology and Facebook, Facebook has increased the level of adultery in our country because people are starting these conversations and they can start to have the emotional affair before they get to anything physical. They can reconnect with their high school sweetheart. They can do all these things that they never had a chance to do before. They open the door and their minds are then led astray and then their bodies follow. So we have to practice disciplines that keep us walking in purity. Practice the presence of God. Practice the disciplines that God gives us. Time in the word, time in prayer, meeting with other people in the body and not giving that up. Don't neglect it. You, you need to. Men, you think that you don't need to meet with anyone. You got too many other important things to do. The ladies, they like to meet together. Yeah, yeah, but I don't really like to do that. I don't like to talk about my, myself. And Okay, isolation, idleness. We need to be together. We need to talk about these things. We need to ask each other questions. We need to be accountable to one another. And not because we're legalists and you know, we're trying to control everything through behavior modification. This is just wisdom from God. Be aware of Satan's strategies, the sinful progression. Be alert. Be on guard. These are all important things for us. And if you're not married, if you are moving toward marriage or hopeful to be married someday, what you can start doing is practicing these godly attributes that God gives us in Scripture now. Look at Ephesians 5. Start, start living for other people, men. Start sacrificing yourself for the sake of others. Learn how to do that. Learn how to give yourself away for the sake of someone else. It's, it's a, right? Sometimes we want to prepare for marriage by having enough money in the bank. We want to have everything set. We want to make sure we're set in our career. We want to make sure all these other things, but start working on your heart that you know how to serve someone. And, and ladies, the same thing, learning how to serve and to submit to Christ, right? Will help you to learn how to submit and to serve your husband. These are things that God has given us to do. And so um, if you're waiting for marriage, these are practices for you. These are spiritual preparations to take place, to live for others, be self-sacrificial, submission, uh, submission to Christ. Well, I've got like 500 more pages, but we're going we're gonna to end there. Um, that's, uh, I'm thankful for this body, for this church. I feel like um, as much as I don't get a ton of feedback from what is being set up here or what you're hearing in your Bible studies and other things, but I, I get enough feedback to know that there are, there are, your hearts are open to be taught by the Lord, I think, um, because after an hour and a half, you're still sitting here and a lot of you come back the following week. And so I can't, I can't, I, I can only imagine that you're, the, the Lord is, the Lord is speaking. And, and so I'm, I'm encouraged by, by this congregation. And as you guys keep coming faithfully, and as you begin to grow in your knowledge of the Lord and grow in your service of the Lord and of his people, that we're going to see some significant changes, not only in our own lives, right, but in the lives of the people around us, that we can really, this small little church out here in Black Forest can really make an impact in our community, in our culture, in our nation. I mean, the ripple effect is there because of God's word going out, because God's people are receiving it, considering it, meditating on it, and choosing to, to walk in obedience. Not perfectly, but with progress, right? So thank you for that. I just want to be, uh, hopefully encourage you that 
Um, I see God moving here. I see God moving in hearts. And so continue to listen, meditate, spend time in the word on your own, spend time in prayer. Don't neglect meeting together. Meet with other people. Make time. This has to be a priority in our lives, not just for our own marriages, but as we model it for our children so that our families are intact, so that our church is healthy, so that we can be on mission and not just a triage hospital for all the brokenness that comes through disobedience and sin. That's going to be partly of what we do, but it, it can't be rampant like we see in the world around us. So continue to do these things, and we're going to see God's blessing continue to be poured out upon us. So let's pray, and we'll close with a song together. Father, we um, are so thankful for your word, for your truth that sanctifies that you are a God that loves us. And you know what's in our hearts, Lord, and you know everyone in here and what they're going through. You see everything. You're with us. You know the hearts of every man in this room, every young man in this room. You know what we're struggling with, Lord. You know if we're being drawn away and enticed through temptation, toward lust, toward sexual sin, toward adultery. Lord, you know what's what's been brewing behind the scenes, Father, and we pray you would expose that this morning. This coming week, Lord, we, I just pray for, for all of us to consider our hearts, how we have been a bit reckless, lack of discipline in our life. We have assumed that we are good people and good Christians, that we love the Lord. May we look at David's life and consider that we're all susceptible to sin. And it just takes one moment. And I pray you would help us, Lord. Help us to confess, to talk to another man, to, to repent of our sin, Lord, to walk with you faithfully, to put up protections in our life, to guard our hearts, to walk in purity, Lord. May you help us with those things. And for all the, the women in this room and young women in this room, Lord, I pray that you would help their hearts as well. Help their, their hearts to be uh, for their husbands, to submit, to... Um, as, as submitting unto the Lord, to be prayerful for their families, to dress in a way that is, that is attractive yet modest. Lord, there's a difference between dressing attractively and dressing in a way that entices. Women know this, girls know this, boys know this for sure, Father. And we pray that you would help, help us to be mindful of those things. I pray that you would protect all the hearts from emotional connections with people that are not our spouses, that you would help us, Lord, to um, remove anything in our life that is not helpful, that is actually harmful, whether it's um, components of social media or interactions with people that we shouldn't be interacting with, Lord. I just, all, everything that you see in the hearts of your people and the lives of your people, Lord, may you bring those to light, bring them to the, to the surface this week, Lord. Expose them for what they are. And I pray you, we would just get rid of them. We'd put them away. We would resist and say, no, Lord, we would not listen and we would run from temptation for the sake of our own hearts and that of our families, that of our marriages, the sacred union that you have put together. Thank you for the beauty of marriage. Um, thank you for the, the amazing opportunity to be one with someone, to have one, oneness, Lord. Even as, you, as we do this, we are being taught and learning how to be one with you, how to have intimacy with you we don't know, and you're teaching us and sanctifying us. So thank you for your goodness and your faithfulness and all these things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this teaching from the Word of God. If you don't have a church home, we invite you to visit Black Forest Chapel in Black Forest, Colorado, near Monument and just north of Colorado Springs. You'll find biblical teaching and authentic worship in an environment that feels like family and friends. Get directions and more information at blackforestchapel.org.